we have breaking news on this edition of Unscripted, and welcome to episode number 300 and, Chris just gave it to me, 310 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. Um, again, just as I've just said, we have breaking news on Unscripted as we are broadcasting here on Wednesday afternoon, February the 20th, 21st, 21st. Like 20th, 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 yeah. okay. And uh, big news out of Uf- UFC today is that uh, there's going to be some a retirement. GSP, George St. Pierre, has announced, uh, hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't had a press conference or anything yet, but he has made an announcement on different uh, websites. ESPN.com is where I heard this this morning, is that GSP will be announcing his retirement from the UFC. Um had the pleasure of seeing him fight twice, um, maybe pound for pound, one of the best, but the guy that knows a little bit more than I do about the UFC is the executive producer of Unscripted. We'll bring him in to get his comments on the news that GSP from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, has decided to announce his retirement from the UFC, and with more on that, we hand the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke. Yeah, I think you have to go with GSP as really one of the greatest athletes in Canadian history and certainly mm-hmm. uh, certainly one of the best fighters of all time in any weight class. I mean, just his record speaks for itself. And if anything, it's almost more impressive than it looks. I mean, at 26-2, and two, that's already impressive. But when you know that both losses were not only avenged, but he knocked both guys out in the rematch, Matt Hughes and Matt Serra, So there's nobody out there who says, you know, I beat George St. Pierre and then he didn't come back and kick my ass the next time. (laughs) You know, it's it's incredible. I mean, he's he has fought a who's who. Like when you look through the list, usually even the guys who are big names or have had legendary careers, you look through and most of the guys they've fought are kind of no names and then they'll face the odd big guy. It's just a who's who. Like everyone he fights is you go back. I mean, it's ridiculous. So his only losses we're in on October 22nd, 2004 to Matt Hughes, where Matt Hughes did get an arm bar uh, on him. And so that's a legit victory. Uh, Matt Sarah was somewhat lucky with some punches, I think, in, on April 7th, 2007. But that's it. So the guy hasn't lost since 2007. He lost once in 04. And that's it. Now, he's only fought once in the last five years. You know, after a narrow, fairly fortunate split decision victory against Johnny Hendricks in late 2013, all he's done is come back and, uh, you know, well, in fairness, that one fight was beating Michael Bisping for the middleweight title, where he'd never fought at middleweight before. And uh, so good for him. That was great. And then, of course, he gave up the title and he's been doing his thing and deciding what to do. What was really going on here is GSP, what's interesting, he's been looking for a super fight against Habib is what he's looking for, because he and Habib are both uh, wrestling specialists. They're both wrestlers. And so, uh, but then uh, when it, when news broke today with Ariel Hawani and some others that uh, this uh, press conference was going to be happening today at the Bell Centre in Montreal, uh, immediately Habib showed up on Instagram saying, hey, I respect GSP so much. I grew up on your fight. I will absolutely fight you as soon as I'm back. Make it like, like I'm ready for November, MSG. Like, you know, let's do it. I, I 100%, like I will absolutely, I, I would be an honor to fight you. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but that's the fight that GSP wants. And the fact that he's been sort of unable to secure that seems to uh, be part of the reason he's retiring. He can certainly pick and choose his fights at this point. He has really nothing to prove, but that would be a beautiful matchup. GSP against Tabib, just a perfect, perfect matchup. He'd have to come down. He's always fought at 170, and now last time at 185. He'd have to come down to 
Habib's at 155, and Habib in his post said he'd go up to 160. They could have a catchweight fight. But really, I mean, I don't see that happening at this point if he's really doing this announcement today. But as you know, athletes' retirements, not always permanent. <laughs> no, I didn't know Brett Favre joined the UFC. <laughs> um, what does this, though? We have the suspension right now going on with Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Habib is, is suspended as well. And now this, um, what does this mean for Dana White and uh, the UFC in general now with the, with the news that George St. Pierre is hanging them up, hanging them up? What does this mean? What do they do? Well, again, they haven't, other than this one one-off fight uh, a little over a year well, ago. I, I know that, but you know, even the casual fans, and I put myself in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, in the category of casual fan of the UFC, there's only so many guys that I know, realistically. And it's name recognition, having them seen, having uh, watched them fight once or twice. Now, I watched the Naganu thing because I've learned from mm-hmm. you the other night. Ended up in less than 30 seconds or whatever it was. Some guy blows out his knee. Uh, but so I know, you know, GSP and I know obviously McGregor and I know Habib and I'm not even going to try to say his name. And, and I know... Uh, Naganu. Uh, no, 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 no. But... Uh, Who's the guy that we both respect so much? 39 years old. Oh, Daniel, Daniel Cormier. Cormier. I mean, these are the guys that I know, and I think that these are guys that general, casual UFC fans or just learning UFC fans are learning. You know, they know about these guys, but we have a lot to learn. I never knew how many guys came into the UFC from Argentina, for crying out loud, until I met you. Um, but does this hurt? I mean, obviously it hurts. And I know, you're right. He's only fought once in the last five years, but... A lot of people still assimilate the UFC with guys like GSP. Well, I think that Dana White clearly has shown that his priorities aren't necessarily with the casual fans like yourself, because if Habib and GSP are both more than willing to fight, and it's a, just a fantastic stylistic matchup again, yeah. then if Dana's not trying to put that together then I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, clearly he's just not that interested in it for whatever reason, which is funny because who's Habib supposed to fight? I mean, you've got the big money rematch with McGregor, but that comes with its own set of headaches, and that's, you know... And that's a ways away. That's a ways away, of course. And he's uh, Habib's already cleaned out the vision. He's destroyed everyone he's ever fought. So, you know, you put him against a guy who's not only a legend and a big draw but in a uh, in a great stylistic matchup, and you do it at MSG where you want to sell a lot of tickets and have a big splashy marquee. So I don't know why Dana didn't try harder for this. I think part of it would be due to just maybe not trusting maybe GSP. GSP's been kind of flaky the last few years, you know, kind of what he's kind of wishy-washy. But, I mean, to answer your question, I, I just think that uh, he's not too concerned. It's almost like WWE where, you know, wrestling used to be all about the big names and like, what's the main event going to be? Yeah. And and then WWE tried to make it now. So it's just, oh, you just either want to go see WWE or you don't. They don't want to have to rely on on stars who might leave or retire or get hurt or something. You know, they just try to make it an overall product. And I'm assuming that's what UFC is going for. They just like, you either want to come watch the UFC or you don't. And I, I think that that's going to be the byproduct of uh, having so many people cancel last second due to injury. But I also believe, and I think you'll agree with me, that anytime in any professional sports, like in any business, period, you're always looking for walk-up traffic. You're always looking for new. Sure. You're always looking for new interested parties. You're always looking for somewhere where you can find 
that little niche to find a group of people that maybe were, I don't know, stupid. Who knows? But they're always on the outlook. And uh, there is going to be a bit of, you know, who knows? There's going to... True UFC fans are going to... They know that he hasn't fought in the last five years, but it's not going to be the same because they know there's a possibility he might not ever fight again. I believe in my heart of hearts, and you said it about five minutes ago, I believe in my heart of hearts, Some way, some way, in some way, shape, or form, we're going to get GSP back in a ring again, or the octagon again someday. I, Like you say, athletes today, when they say they retired, that's just a warm-up. When somebody throws multi, multi, multi-million dollars at you, it's pretty hard to say no. And I think GSP... Proving when he fought the last time, when he went to that higher weight class, he can fluctuate his weight and still be very, very, very effective. I don't, I'm, I don't know anything, but my opinion is, is I believe that we will see GSP again someday in an octagon, in a UFC octagon again, because God damn it, he's too good a draw. I mean, again, casual fans, myself, would get excited to see George St. Pierre in the octagon again. Um, congratulations on an unbelievable career. 26-2. and two. That's great. Um, college basketball. You know, it's funny when, when you have that uh, overlap of time um, in regard to the NBA is still in their all-star break technically until tomorrow, until Thursday, the 21st. Um, Boston, Milwaukee opens the second half at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. But there's been a little bit of a a lull, let's say. I mean, even here, they don't have enough stations to cover all the hockey games that they could probably, that they'd like to cover because without basketball, there is a lull. College basketball, the big main ticket marquee item on Wednesday evening happens between, and there's no even no question about it anymore, the number one uh, rivalry in college, U.S. college basketball is Duke, North Carolina. And anybody that wants to argue with me, I'll put an end to the argument right there. Go fuck yourself. It's not going to happen. These are the two best and the most... They're, they're the marquee programs of college basketball. Well, they've hit a new high. Chris said it, the, the price has actually even risen since what originally was being reported that the last few remaining seats in Cameron Indoor for tonight's game between Duke and North Carolina are being priced at 2500 bucks. Chris has heard they've gone up to as high as 3000 If you've ever been to Cameron Indoor, there isn't a good seat in the house. I mean, the most enthusiastic seats is obviously the student section right off the, bat, off the court, but those are bleachers. They don't even have a back a backrest. They just sit in bleachers. Um, 2500 bucks or 3000 depending on who you're listening to, for a college basketball game, folks, that's getting up there in Super Bowl tickets range. Um, is it because of Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett? Damn right. It is has something to do with it. It's also Duke and North Carolina, but 2,500 to 300 or $3,000 to watch a college basketball game. I don't think so. Who are these people that are spending this and where are they getting the money? Like it it can't be students spending this. I thought like students, no students, the student section always has one price that they pay for as part of the tuition at the beginning of the year. So the student section is locked in. 
So it's just this is just a general public general adults. Pop. Yeah, general pop. General. Okay, yeah. okay, but even that. Oh, I know it's ridiculous. Who the fuck has three thousand dollars for a college game? Yeah, I don't know. Besides Thank God we can people. watch it everywhere on ESPN or TSN here in Canada tonight because three thousand bucks for a college basketball. And game? and the thing is, you'd think for an older crowd, if if that's what it is, I have no idea what the age demographic actually is here, but to wait comfortier seat at home. Well, and remember, there's only about. To my recollection, there's only between 9,500 and maybe 10,000 seats. It's a really small on-campus arena, and that's mm-hmm. part of the the allure of Duke is that intimate setting to watch Duke basketball. But, you know, 10,000 seats at most, I mean, you could probably... All of those schools in the ACC and what they call Tobacco Road, Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Wake Forest... They're all pretty within, I would think, within 30 miles of each other. For this game, why doesn't somebody just wake the fuck up and rent out Greensboro Coliseum, where they used to hold the ACC tournament for years? Or maybe you go into Charlotte, where they just had the All-Star game this last weekend in the NBA, the Spectrum Center. Rent that bad boy out. And then you can put 20,000 people in to watch Duke and Carolina, and they will sell it out. I Guarantee they would sell it out. I just don't understand. Twenty five hundred to three thousand bucks for a for a college basketball game. I you know I remember saying on I don't know what episode number there are only a couple of things in life that I would spend. Oh, it was the day we were ripping the Calgary Stampede, mm-hmm. and I said there was only a, how many things that I would pay three hundred bucks to go watch. Three hundred or three thousand. 300 in this regard. Oh, yeah. I'm not even talking about 3000 because I wouldn't I wouldn't spend it, but there are so many things and I was biased and and kind of pampered all those years because with the media credentials I walked into every goddamn uh, sporting event that I was at and just laughed all the way to the front and uh, all the way to court side or rink side or wherever, it didn't matter. I got a little bit spoiled there. But if I'm not paying 300 bucks except for a very limited you can imagine what I'm going to be spending $3,000 for. And if I'm spending $3,000 for it, folks, there's going to be a happy ending. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. How much the most you ever spent on Packer tickets? Honestly, I have never paid for a Packer game. No. <laughs> how many have you gone to? As a fan. How many have you gone to as a fan? As a fan? Um, only a couple. Really? Well, it's so hard I to know get it's Packer hard, yeah. tickets. It's so hard. I went to a couple as a young kid. I mean, young, young. And this was in the 29 years of crap between uh, Holmgren and uh, between Coach Lombardi and Coach Holmgren. And um, I went to a couple games then. So in the 70s and early 80s, I think, were the two times so, I went So you as haven't a fan. been there since, other than as a, you got to go as a media a Correct. few times? Yeah. Well, that's good, at least. Yeah. yeah. Got to go a couple times. Um, I've been on, you know, I've been to, to Packer practice, which you can go to free, uh, you know, in early July, late July, early August. But um, yeah, I, I, I have never paid for a Packer game. And and again, I was young the two times I went as a fan. They weren't as prevalent as they are now. They certainly didn't have Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, but I can't imagine potentially $3,000 for a college basketball game. But the Packer, the Packers, in when they were in the 29 years of crap, they weren't, were the tickets still hard to get then? Oh, absolutely. Oh, they were. The Packers just, have sold out every game since 1960. There has okay. not been an open seat at the old, what they used to call City Stadium, and then trans, transgressed. Uh, the city, it was originally when they built the stadium, 
where Lambeau sits today in the built, I believe in 57, but I'm guessing there, it was called City Stadium. Renamed in the 60s to Lambeau Field, still the same, but there has not been an empty seat at Lambeau Field. Even in the Cowboys-Packers 67 championship game at minus 13 degrees, and that's Fahrenheit, folks, not Celsius, um, not an empty seat. Wow. So even when they're crappy, it's still just the supply and the demand and everything is still crazy. It would be the same for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I believe. I mean, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have not, they've been great, but to my recollection, they, I remember them winning the, the uh, Grey Cup in 89 with Glenn Suter at, at safety. And there's been one other championship in there, but they get unbelievable. They travel well in the CFL and they support their team unequivocally. In Regina, it's not even that we travel well. We just moved to other places. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just already there. Hey, look who came to town. Hey, look. Gee, the guys travel. in green are here. <laughs> travel well. Jesus Christ. I'm being nice. Come on. Um, welcome to episode number 310 of Unscripted. Later on this weekend, it's going to be Douchebag Day. Looking forward to that. Chris and I originally were going to do 10 names. Well, I can tell you that the 10 names has grown and grown and grown for both of us. So I'm looking forward to Douchebag Day, but uh, we've got some things other otherwise to talk about. I guess we now have to at least talk about it a little bit with the news on Tuesday that one of the two big free, remaining free agents in Major League Baseball has finally put his name on the dotted line. The San Diego Padres surprised the shit out of me was the San Diego Padres. And this just shows me right here that for these guys, it's all about money. There's no loyalty anymore. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Um, actually, the Chicago White Sox general manager, Rick Hahn, came out this morning, Wednesday morning, and said his offer was more than San Diego's. Well, whether you want to believe that or not, he's pissed off because he didn't sign with the Southside Sluggers, the Chicago White Sox. Two things, I think, what drew Machado to San Diego. First of all, $300 million over the next 10 years. That would draw him to San Diego. The San Diego climate is certainly a benefactor. You're playing in the National League West, which has been dominated by the L.A. Dodgers. You can win that division if somebody gets hot. But I think maybe... Maybe one of the factors that Machado looked at, I don't know if he can read, but I think one of the things he probably looked at is that the San Diego farm system has been ranked as the best in Major League Baseball. There's a lot of young uh, talent coming up through the ranks in San Diego's system led by a guy by the name of Fernando Tatis Jr. And if that name is familiar to St. Louis Cardinals fans, his dad once played third base years ago for the Cardinals, Fernando Tatis. So, but still it surprised me. I thought first, you know, I really believe that all this time that Machado and or Harper or potentially both would end up in New York because every big ticket item ever, every just always wants to seemingly end up and play for the Yankees. I never really thought that the San Diego Padres would be players on one of these two, on one of these two guys and I'm happy for San Diego that somebody is, you know, taking the Padres organization seriously. But um, San Diego has never been a big participant in offseason, uh, you know, uh, signings. Um, they've never been very good. I mean, thank to Greg, 
who rattled off some names the other day on our Patreon page about the last time I thought the San Diego Padres were relevant, and that was 1998, and the only guy I could think of was Tony Gwynn. Thankfully, Greg was able to remind us about Ken uh, Pillpoppin Caminetti. Um, Steve Finley was the center fielder. Um, Trevor Hoffman was their closer, but Greg knew that. I didn't know that. Thank God for Greg. But uh, I am happy that San Diego and somebody besides Yankee Nation or Red Sox Nation got a significant player. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bryce Harper, my guy from Las Vegas, supposedly. And I've heard that uh, what Harper is looking at is the Phillies at 10 years and $310 million. I don't know. Crying out loud. Well, the Padres apparently aren't completely out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes either, according oh, to the report I saw. No, no, a guy, maybe you've seen this since I have last, but you told me we were communicating via text yesterday afternoon, and you told me about Harper. But then last night I saw a blurb on my phone that San Diego's owner has said, we tried, but we're done. We're out, okay. of, the, we're out of the Harper sweepstakes. We've spent, San Diego in the last two years has spent, five hundred. now has spent $528 million dollars over the next 10 years on Eric Hosmer and now Manny Machado. Oof, that's a lot of money. $528 million, half a billion on two players. For adorable little San Diego. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think if you're a Machado, you just have to think about, if you're comparing San Diego and Chicago, you're just thinking about, kind of like you said, the weather reports every day when you wake <laughs> up and you look at the weather report on your app, on your phone. In San Diego, it's going to say sunny, and every day you do it in Chicago, it's going to say bullets. And... <laughs> And so one is preferable and one is not. So I guess he likes to live. So he's going to go to San Diego. And that's but it was kind of neat, though, when he was sending out, somebody was sending out these messages. And remember, I told you, and you've probably read it by now, but in, in, in the hopes of landing Machado, the White Sox acquired that first baseman, Alonzo, who is related mm-hmm. somehow to mm-hmm. Machado. Um, and then there was these things that were going out on social media with these, because, um, somebody in Machado's family is about to have a baby and they were sending out these little photos on, on Instagram and all the different social media that were Chicago White Sox, little stockings or whatever that you put footies that you put on baby's feet. Um, so there was a belief that maybe it was the White Sox. But here it is, the San Diego Padres, and uh, congratulations to them. You're still not going to win a World Series championship. Doesn't matter. You're spending $528 million on shit, but congratulations. You you uh, acquired something that 30 other, 31, whatever it is, 30 teams couldn't do. So congratulations to the San Diego Padres, and they are now on the hook for $528 million the next 10 years between uh, Eric Hosmer at first base and Manny Machado at shortstop. Congratulations. Um, football. That's where I wanted to go. Football. Big topic. And I'm tired of this guy being assumed. I even heard it again this morning on Loudmouth's program, Stephen A. Uh, that Stephen A is advocating that the Packers trade for Antonio Brown. Yesterday, it happened. Antonio Brown met with Steelers ownership, Art Rooney Jr., uh, the son, of course, legendary Steelers owner, Art Rooney. Been in the Rooney family since the 30s, the Steelers have. Maybe that's where the, the uh, all that, every year, it's the same thing with the Steelers. They don't fire coaches. And the, and the ownership group has been under the Rooney's since the 30s. Uh, but Antonio Brown met with the Steelers owner, Rooney, to clear the air. 
Supposedly it was a good meeting, but at the end of the meeting, both the owner and the wide receiver decided that a change of scenery will benefit both sides. Uh, Chris tells me this morning, also news out of Pittsburgh is that there is going to be no franchise tag on running back Le'Veon Bell, so he will be a free agent, full and clear. He can do and go wherever he wants to go. But I'm tired of both of these names being associated with the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers have a lot more holes to fill and a lot, and they've got a higher priority right now than running back and wide receiver. And it may seem weird for you to hear me say about wide receiver, but we don't have any offensive line anymore. We don't have any defensive pressure from the outside anymore. We have no safeties. We've got big holes to fill here, folks, and we can't zap up all of this supposedly almost $40 million in cap space. We can't fill that up on two guys. And Antonio Brown at 31 would be a great one-year wonder or two-year wonder maybe in Green Bay working with Aaron Rodgers, but I think there are better fits for Antonio Brown. The Packers have a lot more fits that they need. Please do not put Le'Veon Bell and... Antonio Brown and Green Bay anymore, folks. We've got bigger issues to tackle. We've got a running back. We've got two running backs in Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I mean, certainly Le'Veon Bill would look great, folks. No question. But do you want to spend 15 million bucks a year on Le'Veon Bell when you need a tackle? You need two guards. You need an outside rusher, maybe two. I mean, prioritize here, folks. But it'll be interesting to see where Antonio Brown heads. And before I ask for your uh, two cents worth on, on Antonio Brown and the soap opera that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. ESPN NFL analyst Lewis Riddick says that Brown is, and I quote, pushing GMs away with his social media use, end quote. So there's a couple things there for you to tackle. Antonio Brown, social media, Le'Veon Bell, the Pittsburgh Steelers, go, sir, now. Well, with the social media thing, it's like when you're trying to find a wife, you only need to find one. I know it's easy to get frustrated when you're out there dating a bunch of psychopaths, but... All I want is one. Yeah, mm. right? All you need is one. And so it, it, there could be 31 GMs out there that can't stand his social media use. He's going to find one that's happy to sign Antonio Brown. He's not going to be out of work for very long. No. I mean, now, of course, it's going to be dependent on, the, dependent on the trade, and he's got two years left on his deal so it would actually be the perfect length for the Packers if they didn't have to give up too much and if they could afford him I have to think you would be at least a little bit excited if Antonio Brown went to Green Bay well absolutely but I'm 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 Chris I'm and I've said this before and you've heard me say it I'm concerned about him as a locker room cancer I'm concerned about him uh on a lot of different things social media is far down the list mm -hmm. but you know uh taping the coach's yeah, speech that after was, that that's that's a breach good. of privacy right there yeah, you, that that, wasn't good. shit that stays it's in the locker room should stay in the locker room that bothered me about antonio brown um this refusal now maybe maybe ben roethlisberger is a bit of a prima donna bitch but he is your quarterback um the pittsburgh steelers and antonio brown don't have the success in the numbers that he's put up the last couple of years without ben roethlisberger throwing him the football um i just think at this point Antonio Brown's on another mission to find his next calling after his football career. Let's get the football career done and then worry about part B. And I think he's trying to do too many things. And I think ultimately we know and have found out that Aaron Rodgers can be a bit of a prima donna bitch too. And maybe two massive egos like that, we don't need that right now in Green Bay when we've got a 
and I don't care what anybody says, we've got a bit of a mini rebuild going on in Green Bay. Well, if it did work, the good thing in Green Bay would be that it could be like the Kansas City Chiefs where you could outscore the opposition so severely that it doesn't really matter too much what your defense is doing. Right. And we've seen that before. Right. Uh, offense can win championships if it's, uh, if it's good enough. But again, I've said I think the best place for Antonio Brown, I don't expect him to go here, but I still think the Indianapolis Colts makes perfect sense. You know, across from T.Y., great O-line, great up-and-coming running backs with Mack and Hines, tons of money, Andrew Luck. I mean, it's just underrated defense now. I mean, it's just the perfect spot for him, but it's in the AFC, so I don't expect him to get traded there unless they're offering up a first. For the Colts to get him, they'd have to offer a first-round pick for sure. And if I am the Colts, I would consider it. Certainly, if I'm confident in my locker room and the leadership of Andrew Luck, I think that I would absolutely give up a first-round pick for Antonio Brown in that exact scenario when you have money to burn and you have so much cap space you don't know what to do with it all, and you've already got some amazing pieces and a solid foundation of that great O-line and a great friend franchise quarterback who's actually come back from injury somehow but no I expect Antonio Brown to go to the 49ers as most people do for a number of reasons and uh, you know across the country in the NFC is much more likely do you think the 49ers though excuse me the Steelers kind of uh, kind of send little AB a little message here and try to avoid sending him to San Francisco (laughs) I mean We've seen it everywhere. He's even he's even uh, been tweeting or whatever that is back and forth with the greatest of all time, Jerry Rice, about maybe you can figure out a way to get me to San Francisco. Maybe now the Steelers play a little bit of mm. a bitch game and they say, okay, you want to go to San Francisco? Uh, no, we're going to send you to the NFC, but we're going to send you to, oh, I don't know, Tampa Bay. Uh, we're going to send you to Detroit. Oh, God. You know, so... I don't know. We'll see. I think a lot of it comes out of that meeting yesterday between the ownership of the Steelers and Brown. Let's see how really good that meeting was. I think John Lynch is a is a up-and-coming general manager for damn sure. I think he's done a good job rebuilding that roster in San Francisco. And I think they've got the capital. And I think they've got the resources to make a trade happen. It's going to take some cooperation on a lot of different parties, though, to make this happen. Because Antonio Brown has probably burned a few bridges let's say this year with some of his antics on and off the field and it'll be interesting to see there's no doubt about his talent folks there's no doubt about that but I think it's going to have to be a special situation and um, I wouldn't the first thing I would do would would not do is give Antonio Brown a contract extension let him play out the last two years see how you behave and then we'll see but, yeah, I would I would make him play at least one of the yeah. years at the very yeah. full season, see how he's in the locker room, see how he's in every other way, at least have that one year in your back pocket so you do have leverage if you do want to trade him. But I think the Steelers have already bent over backwards enough for both Brown and really Bell, and I think that, yeah, they, they're, they're just going to try and get whatever they can for him, and they're not going to give him away, as they said, and I believe that, but they'll get something decent. They'll get a, a first or a second or something, at least for Antonio Brown, and just the willingness to trade him with two years left on his deal as a top receiver in the league and a very, very famous name 
just doing that is more than accommodating enough. They don't also have to go to the exact team he wants to go to. Yeah. You know, fuck that. So right. don't worry about that. But it's very... Get the best deal for the Steelers absolutely, right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, if it's in the FC, it has to be a, a, an extra deal. But both these guys have become somewhat expendable because of the incredible emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. And I'm not criticizing the Steelers here. And really, they deserve credit because they're the ones who drafted these guys and scouted them and took them when they did and where they did. So they deserve a lot of credit for that. But when you have great drafting, you can have guys like this suddenly take over and all of a sudden you can look like you're this principled organization. And maybe they are. They're as likely as any organization, frankly, with their incredible stability and consistency uh, over the years. And of course, that's where the Rooney rule came from. Three coaches in 50 years. I mean, there's some pretty impressive stuff that's come out of there when it comes to convictions and consistency. And so it's not like anyone and success for that matter, lots and lots of Super Bowls. So it's not like, you know, it's not like the, anyone can make the case that the Steelers aren't a classic premier franchise in the NFL. So, I mean, in any way you slice it, they're, uh, they're a real model of success. So, but I mean, you know, and this is where it comes back to, uh, back down to drafting as uh, a lot of people forget. But yeah, we're going to see Bell and Brown in new places this year. I seriously doubt they'll be on the same team. They'll be somewhere else completely. And uh, we finally get at the end uh, to the, the Bell saga, which is great too. Before we get out of here on this 310th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, um, kind of funny, and we'll wrap up this this uh, episode with this. After almost not making the weekly payroll after the second week of the, all right, you got to remind me, it's the Alliance of American Football, right? Wow, yes. Hot damn. Who's this guy? I don't know. He's got a new Twitter. He's got a new uh, LinkedIn page, so he's all excited. Um after almost not making the weekly payroll after week two of the AAF season, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon invested $250 million in the AAF, and that quarter of a billion dollars got him a new title, and his new title is Chairman of the League. Um, I am surprised by this. Um, I know that in any startup, any startup. I don't care if it's a football league, a company, uh, a development company, anything. There are going to be the first 90 days to 180 days are always going to be interesting with money. A lot of expenditures going out, not any revenue coming in. I get all that. But how can you be planning for this and already potentially after week two, it wasn't potentially, supposedly the, the thing was they couldn't make payroll. And so Charlie Ebersol obviously made a phone call. And hopefully, obviously, I'm thinking here that this had been going on for a while in regard to this negotiation. And, and this guy was going to come in as the uh, daddy big bucks of, of the AAF. But um, this league was close to shutting its doors already after just two weeks of play. And this guy comes in from the heavens above and and uh, writes a check for a quarter of a billion dollars to be named the new chairman of the American Allegiance Alliance of Football. Oh, you just had it. I know. Jesus, you know. AAF. <laughs> uh, I still think it should be AFA like you. Yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, this guy comes in on that white proverbial horse and saves the league, and, and uh, I think it's a good thing, but I, I'm just wondering, you know, 
We've talked about this before. We didn't see a lot of, you would have thought that there would have been, especially when games were being televised, one of their broadcast partners was CB or is CBS, why there wasn't some mention during the Super Bowl. You've got eight hours of Super Bowl pregame. You thought there could have been a couple of lousy commercials about their new football entity starting a week, literally a week after the Super Bowl had concluded. But uh, good move, I guess, for the AAF. Uh, obviously a good move for the AAF and a bunch of new players. And the one thing I have appreciated about the AAF, and we'll get more into this as when we get on to Douchebag Day, because one of the guys I'm going to talk about is one of the guys on my list, and I'll talk about him. But what I wanted to say is that I think the AAF was doing it the right way that every player in the league, on all eight of their teams, every player signed three-year, $250,000 contracts. All players, all positions get paid the same. doesn't matter if you're a D-lineman or a quarterback. You all signed y'all. Oh, I I must play in the AAF. Y'all. Everybody signed a three-year contract worth $250,000 a year. So you're playing for $80,000 a year and change. $250,000 total for the three years. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're playing for $80,000 and plus change a year. okay. Eight times three is 24. Yeah, you're playing for mm-hmm. 80000 plus a year mm-hmm. to play football. So I think they did it the right way. That's why it surprises me with no advertising that we didn't, that we haven't seen. And you're paying $80,000 plus per player for three seasons. You got them under contract for three years. How did they go broke so quick? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Yeah, and I was surprised. If you go to NFL.com, after I just saw the lack of advertising, I went on there just to kind of check what the NFL news was, and I was surprised to see they're fully covering the AAF on NFL.com. Yeah. And so that really surprised me. Then there's really no excuse for them not pushing it a little bit uh, during the Super Bowl. Like, just mention it and have a nice little lead-in for them. But my real question about all this is, when it comes to the finances of the AAF, So the only reason that Charlie Ebersol decided that he wanted to start this league is because he was part of the documentary, This Was the XFL, that they did recently about the 2001 XFL season with his dad, Dick Ebersol, and Vince McMahon. And that's why he started this, because he's thought, oh man, like, hey, I should start a league too. Now, if you have that idea, and you know the XFL is coming back, or at least, you know, maybe that was just because of this documentary too, but why wouldn't they work together? Why wouldn't you just take after your dad, like Dick and Vince are great friends. You saw the incredible emotion between the two of them. Like they just, they really uh, care about each other. And so why would you then, you know, kind of, and not that I'll never have any sympathy for Vince McMahon. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, why would you do it like that? Like Vince has tons of money. He's a billionaire. Why wouldn't you then go in like this? Like if you are not sitting there when it comes time to really make the decision to go hard and fully go ahead with the AAF, if you don't have more than enough money, like this is not a shoestring budget or yes, we got just enough. We did a Kickstarter and we got just enough. Like you need to have tons of money backing you. And if you don't have that, why wouldn't you try to go in with Vince McMahon in some way? Why would you try to do this on your own and have this kind of an embarrassment potentially there? You should have way more money than you need available right. to you. To start up. This yeah. should not be, because there's always going to be contingencies. There's always going to be things popping up. You can't just go in like, oh yeah, we got just enough. I, it's crazy to me because uh, I just assumed that, well, he's not going to do this if he doesn't have some big backers. Even if they're silent, even if they're angel investors, whatever, 
he's got to have the money and he guess he didn't. So I don't know why he didn't try to do this with Vince or else not do it at all. But it sure isn't looking good if it's only two weeks in. So who knows? Maybe by the time it gets to the XFL's rebirth in 2020, maybe there won't be an AAF for them to even compete with. You know, uh, you bring up some very valid points, no question about it. And uh, I would think one strong league would work out ultimately better than maybe two crappy ones. I don't think anyone's really thought of that. And I don't know if I did till I said the sentence. But yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's yeah, Vince is going to look pretty smart if he, for delaying. Because right now it's like, oh, you missed out and the other guy's got the jump on you. <laughs> if, wow. if, he's, if he's not even starting yet, he's taking his time and the other league's already folded, that would be actually be funny. Well, when you see stuff like this, you know that Vince McMahon, I think, is doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah, and, he's taking uh, his time. No criminal record, you know, so he's, he's, uh, I think Vince McMahon, one of the things, you can say a lot of things about him, but one of the things is that he's always learning. And I think that he learned something from his XFL, you know, dot one or whatever you want to call it when he tried it the first time. And I think he's going to be much better prepared than what we've seen already from two weeks in. I guess here's the thing. Charlie Abrosol started his league a league a year early because he wanted to make sure that Steve Superior was going to be one of his coaches. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. That's, that's what, what yeah, it that's was. That's the big one they signed. Well, <laughs> and I appreciate the cred wanting the credibility, but I mean... Not for Steve Superior. No, but I mean, hey, uh, Vince uh, went out and got Bob Stoops. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I would guess that part of that, by the way, just last to finish off here... Uh, one of uh, Bob Stoops' best friends is Jim Ross, the great uh, oh, announcer, because yeah, yeah, Jim Ross yeah. is like the literally the number one Oklahoma Sooners fan on right. the face of the earth, period. That's right, yeah. And uh, he and Bob Stoops are excellent friends, so I'm going to assume yeah. that uh, Jim Ross was the liaison there and uh, helped get Bob He got uh, Bob an Stoops. intro. Yeah, you know, for sh that's that's for sure what happened there. So uh, that that's an interesting one, but they're gonna they're gonna look for the big name, uh, you know, the big name credibility as well, for sure. Um, we've got a run on this 310th episode of Unscripted. Thank you, as always, for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Still need to talk about this week. We've got the trade deadline coming up on Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Monday in the National Hockey League. NBA news. Was the All-Star game as boring to you as it was to me? Sure was to me. Didn't lose anything there. We can talk about that. Um, obviously the big ticket item today that I'm really looking forward is to douchebag day here on unscripted. As we take a look, it was supposed to be 10 names. Well, you can't limit something like that yeah. to just 10 names. So no. we're still working on how we're going to do it, but I can tell you folks, both of us have way more than 10 names on our douchebag list. And I'm really looking forward to that. And of course we'll always end up the week with Freeform Friday on our Patreon page for our Green and Gold Club members. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.